The Braves Radio Network channel on the podcast park is brought to you by Truist Bank. When you start with care, you get a different kind of bank. Hey, welcome to Braves Country. David Lowry is one of the most layered and important figures in modern Southern music. Most folks know his big 90s rock radio hits with his alternative Southern rock band Cracker, but there is so much more to Lowry. His vital first band, Camper Van Beethoven, his reflective solo recordings, his own pitch-a-tent record label, standing up against digital music piracy, and teaching music business at the University of Georgia, and a whole lot more. Plus, he's an old-school baseball fan and a newly converted dogs fan. And Cracker plays the Buckhead Theater in Atlanta, Georgia for the Alzheimer's Music Fest on Saturday, February 4th. So Tug and I thought this would be the perfect time to call him up and talk shop. David Lowry, welcome to Braves Country. Hello. This episode of Braves Country is sponsored by our Braves fan friends down at Century 21, Solomon Properties in Savannah, Georgia, servicing the historic downtown Savannah area, the island area, and Atlanta's beach, beautiful Tybee Island, Georgia. Call Joel Solomon today. 912-604-0896. That's 912-604-0896 for all your real estate needs on the Georgia coast. Braves Country also sponsored by Smith's Old Bar, best live music venue in Atlanta since 1994, located in the heart of Midtown at 1578 Piedmont Avenue. Smith's Old Bar is a neighborhood joint for everyone. Check out smithsoldbar.com for the current concert calendar and tickets. See y'all at Smith's. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Pleasure to have David Lowry of Cracker. You can visit their website, crackersoul.com, or you can get David's solo album, a brand new one that's out, called Vending Machine. You can get that at davidlowrymusic.com. Socials, you can find him, David C. Lowry, on Twitter. You guys are doing a big show called Alzheimer's Music Fest, Buckhead Theater, Saturday, February 4th. Alzheimer's affects so many people. I have a personal connection to that. I think maybe you do, too, is what I hear. The fact that y'all are doing this is terrific, man. Congratulations and thank you. We did it last year. It was a lot of fun. We also did one down in Florida, too. It was a lot of fun. But, you know, my personal connection is that my mom, you know, passed away a few years ago. She had Alzheimer's. And, you know, like I discovered pretty quickly that, you know, she had good days and bad days. And some days, you know, she had no idea who it was. But if I picked up my guitar and started singing any song from my catalog, she would immediately laugh. She would just sing them along with me. You know, that's unreal. Getting to end, and uh, you know, I think a lot of times there's a lot of anxiety when you're suffering from Alzheimer's. You basically sort of don't know what's going on, but if you can distract somebody by having them sing music that they enjoy and that they know, and they're like, okay, here's something for me to latch on to, right? So, <clears throat> this is something that um, my sister, especially with my mom, like she basically kind of went went through my mom's record collection, songs that she knew and stuff like that. She just built all these playlists and, you know, 
we basically played her played her music from her youth through like my catalog uh, as a way of kind of uh, connecting with her. So there's something really special there. I believe uh, speech uh, from the rest of development and you know some of the other musicians performing on this also have similar personal um, connections in that way to you know sort of the Alzheimer's. <laughs> personal connection for me is that my grandmother and then my wife's grandmother both succumbed to Alzheimer's disease so it is unbelievably mm-hmm. brutal it's so impactful for the family and you mentioned your sister because I it was impactful for my mother and my mother-in-law because they were both the caretakers man it's unreal what that disease does it mm-hmm. also your description is is so cool if there's anything cool about it is the fact that you used music to relate to her in in her mm-hmm. toughest moments and that that says so much about the power of music to me because I believe in that yeah it's it's interesting how it's just um, wired into you know our, our brains and our bodies and our spirit and stuff like that in a way that's really a um, sort of defies uh, sort of any sort of logic or you know sort of real scientific understanding right it's just it's kind of magic, right? Yeah, it is magic. You know, my, and my grandfather, uh, my family is also affected by that. My grandfather Mun uh, passed away from Alzheimer's, and uh, in the end, there we I'd visit him in the facility where he was living and uh, singing music. Actually, we would uh, the only thing we could do is we would sing the Texas A and M Aggies fight song together. Oh, wow. and that one got him well, fired well, up, that's, and yeah. that's what he knew. That's I what he love knew. it. There was a little bit of there was a moment of sort of black comedy sort of levity my, my family sort of has a, a little bit of gallows humor that runs through the whole thing and one of the things one of my mom's favorite songs is uh it turned out we, we sort of knew this but one of her favorite songs songs from her childhood uh we all meet again oh yeah so a lot of times we would go grab that song like on the computer on youtube and what we would get was the closing sequence of dr strange love with all the nuclear bombs going <laughs> oh, off my right? Lord. <laughs> right that's the end of that <laughs> movie right right and it's you know it's a beautiful classic rendition of the song that's a movie my mom would sing and you know my sister and i are like this is so dark <laughs> you know, but but you know sometimes there's a little bit of this you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, look, sometimes the good Lord, you know, the good Lord will wink down at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Something like that. You know, and we we just kind of embraced it. You I know? love that. So, uh, now I know you're an, you're a military brat like me. Tug is a was a Navy man. He served in the Navy, and I I was raised on Army bases, and you were raised on Air Force bases, which kind of makes you a kind of a, a little more worldly in a way. And you you spent some time in California in your childhood baseball fandom. I guess you kind of grew up in the '70s, uh, paying attention to the Dodgers. Yeah, that's like the family team, which is again speaking of my younger sister, who was the caretaker for my mom. Um, my sister. Well, I was a, I was a, a Dodgers fan just because you know that's where I lived in Southern California. My family gravitated towards the Dodgers, and that was like in the classic '70s Dodgers lineup. So one of the things about like the '70s Dodgers was they had pretty much the exact same infield for the entire 70s, right? Okay, can you name some of them? Kind of a weird thing. Well, Steve Garvey. Oh, cool. Um, and then a uh, kind of underrated third baseman I liked a lot named uh, Ron Say, right? That's oh, yeah. Say, Ron Say. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, second base, Davey Lopes. Yes. Sometimes called Lopez. Yep, yep. Um, Bill 
Russell. Russell. Mm-hmm. Got it. So, Dusty uh, Baker. I think is in there. wasn't the uh, catcher Jaeger maybe or something like that or Steve yeah. Yeager. Yeah. Uh, uh, Steve Jaeger. I yeah. mean, it's it's it was a pretty good team to grow up with. And you kind of got spoiled with uh, Dusty Baker, Reggie Smith, Don uh, Sutton, Don Sutton. Andy Messersmith, oh, right? Yeah. Didn't he come from the Braves? So that's my era. But then kind of after that, like by, you know, they won the World Series in, I think, 81. But I was kind of in Northern California then, and I started getting in a band, and then I just sort of lost kind of track of baseball and the Dodgers. Although, you know, my, my little sister is such a Dodger. Well, just in general, just a sort of a bait. Like, she should have been a scout. Right. She goes and watches, um, like, she goes to, you know, so <clears throat> some of the minor league uh, and spring training stuff happens in Southern California. A lot of it happens in Arizona. And, like, she goes to those games and, like, not only knows, like, all the Dodger players, but, like, well, just, you know, super familiar with them. She can do, like, the farm teams, too. Mm-hmm. She's a super fan, yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's like really, really a a super fan. So I've never been able to um, publicly like any other team because she'll scold me. (laughs) Well, we're going to try to change that. We're hoping to change that. I don't know. I think we're going to get you into the Braves by the end of this uh, talk here, I think. Yeah, it was a big family problem when when we had the Braves and the Dodgers in the playoffs here, you know, in the World Series and such, right? So it's a big problem. But, well, yeah, we're, I'm walking the line here. She's going to check out this podcast and make sure, I, right. make sure I adhere to the... Uh, uh, to the family values. Proper family family values, yeah, the family <laughs> protocol, right? I love it, man. Now, I know you, you, you kind of call Richmond, Virginia one of your homes as well, RVA. And, uh, and I just wondered, uh, I used to love when the Braves had their minor league team there, the AAA Braves, they had kind of the stadium that was like a little, mm-hmm a mini version of Atlanta Fulton County Stadium and it had that big Native American or Indian brave statue climbing out of the stadium and uh, I loved just driving by that. Do you remember that? And did you go to any games over there? Ever? Yeah. Oh yeah, we used to go to games over there because uh, uh, basically, you know, they were early, they were super cheap, uh, the, you know, it was like back in the 90s, right? The, the beer was like, a, you know, a dollar in a draft cup, and it was usually sold by. Anyway, it was just, just kind of a great, fun experience. I don't think anybody ever actually watched the games, but, you know, we stood around in the stands until, you know, either it got too hot or... Anyway, yeah, that's a, that's a great experience. And, you know, not to be a... You know, to be, this isn't negative towards the Braves, but when the Braves moved, right, mm-hmm. um, from Richmond, they just kind of put up their own independent team in Richmond, and it's pretty much the same. So they have the Flying Squirrel there now. Oh, cool. And somehow, I got to think about that. It's the, I don't know if the Braves looks, has been sort of covered up with the Flying Squirrel. I don't think about that. But Yeah, yeah I'm wondering where that uh, statue is now. I do have a little bit of a fascination with some of these independent minor league teams. Like probably about 10 years ago, we played a little Americana uh, festival on at the Joliet Slammers nice. uh, field in Joliet, Illinois. Yeah, do you know what the do you, they have kind of? See, I went to Santa Cruz, so we had the banana slugs as a mascot. So I'm sort of obsessed with obscure mascots. Yeah, and so that's maybe one other thing I talked about. Do you know what the uh, Joliet Slammers is? Do you know what their mascot is? No, I can I can only imagine uh, a, a shot yeah, so glass. It's another independent in an independent, yeah, <laughs> yes, in independent. Uh, you know, just we're like a weird, weird independent 
uh, you know, minor league baseball teams. The Slammers, because I'm saying the Blues Brothers, isn't the, isn't the Joliet State Prison in the Blues Brothers? Isn't that part of the plot? You might be right so about that. So the Slammers yeah. is a reference to the prison, right? Ah, And nice. their new little stadium city stadium that they built is built to resemble a prison with watchtower including fake watchtowers and barbed wire so they just totally embrace it and the (laughs) and the mascot is a bird in a jail uniform perched on a baseball brilliant absolutely brilliant it is the best logo in baseball that's amazing some of the others you got the uh, milwaukee milkmen the Lincoln Salt Dogs, the Dock Hounds of Lake Country, the uh, there, there's just some others, the, the Winnipeg Gold Eyes. My, there's my, no telling what that is. My new about. favorite is the Savannah Bananas, which though. is I'm on way tour. Into that. I'm way into that. Way okay. So I was wearing around. We played at you know that festival that stadium. I was like, hey man, is the merch shop open? So I got some merch. Right, I gave a hat to David Barbie, who had you know, of course, you know, David Barbie is the is a musical legend in Georgia, and he is my director at the University of Georgia, and he runs Chase Park. And I know you've worked with him before, Scott. Dave Barbie also happens to be a baseball expert, so yes, I knew that he would probably know this team, and I brought him back some swag from that. I had some swag and so whenever I'm wearing my Joliet Slammers hat, I will have people tell me about another quirky baseball team mascot. So I have learned about a few of these because of that. That seems like it needs to become a collectible thing though because my wife is from upstate New York. I'm from northwest Georgia. I know it's hard to tell the way I talk and everything but she's from upstate New York and the independent team up there is the Tri-City Valley Cats that we would always go see. And they're in the same Frontier League as the Joliet Slammers. And then one more, just because it's good, it's the Florence Yalls from Florence, South Carolina. Y-A-L-L-S. That's very creative. So good. So brilliant. David, I wonder about the music at the Slammers. Did they play Jailhouse Rock and maybe uh, you're, in, you're in the Jailhouse now and stuff like that at the, during the game? It was off-season. Oh, okay. Uh, I got no, you. Oh, they well. did not. I love an, a good off-day minor league baseball game is the best way to burn an off-day on the road. Although we don't like off-days on the road, but when if you're near a minor league game, it's kind of mm-hmm. like you can take the whole band and crew and just have a great day and everybody, you know, everybody's safe. And they're all worn out by the, by the evening, so nobody goes out to the bars and gets in trouble. So it's kind of cool. That's right. That's that's probably a, a, a good thing. Recently, we played for a minor league hockey uh, sort of pre-show open of the season. What is it? The East Coast Hockey League? Yep. Hockey ECHL. minor leagues works differently, right? Mm-hmm. And and Duluth is in that league, right? Yeah, for the, uh, the Gladiators. That's right. Yeah, so uh, we play, what's it called? Reading, Pennsylvania. I can't remember. It was one of those secondary cities in Pennsylvania or whatever. And I got briefly fascinated with that as well, too. But um, anyway, uh, yeah, so there's something about minor league sports that's pretty interesting. Well, it's just very pure, very pure. Like, and another sport that's, that has been pure for the majority of my life, we'll see how that continues with NILs and all that sort of stuff, which is Georgia Bulldogs, huge fan, born and raised. Been looking mm-hmm. at my 1980 Herschel Walker National Championship jersey, you know, since I was a kid, mm-hmm. and the Coca-Cola bottles and all that. But it's interesting, man, because this is one of the first things that I learned about you and was so impressed is that you're actually Dr. Lowry, a UGA professor, been there for 12 years this month, I hear. 
yeah. So, yeah, a lot of people don't know I have a doctorate. Actually, technically, I'm not a professor because professor is like a rank in the military oh. or something like that. So, yeah, like you're, a, you know, associate, assistant, and then a professor, and then you're a chair, right? Mm-hmm. And that has to do with research and publishing and stuff like that. Uh, UGA doesn't have professors of practice. At least I don't think they do. Um, so that's more like what I would do because I don't necessarily do research and stuff like that. Like I am actively involved in the industry. So I was awarded the title of senior lecturer in the music business, but that's kind of a mouthful. So most of my kids call me Doc Lowry. Doc Lowry. I like it. Like a Doc Holiday kind of feel to it. Yeah, or Doc Ellis. (laughs) There you uh, go. Doc Gooden. Right. Yeah, or, uh, yeah, like an old gunslinger or baseball player, right? Or a blues person, right? Or something like that. So I kind of, I'm embracing the Doc Lowry here, but maybe I'll change my nom to stage to Doc Lowry or something like that. I don't know why you wouldn't. I don't know why you wouldn't, man. I got to tell you, man, that's strong. That'd look good on t shirts, too. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I've become a, you know, Georgia Bulldogs fan, you know, sort of by default, but also, I mean, it's great because it's amazing to be at the University of Georgia as as the Bulldogs have just really come back to being, you know, well, the national champions, right? Yeah, you know, back to know, back, two like, years in a row. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And, and you know, my my wife always told me that. My you know, my wife grew up in Atlanta. Oh, by the way, my wife grew up in the house that was owned by this guy, man, who owned the Georgia Crackers. Isn't that kind of a weird coincidence? Holy cow! Really? Wow, that's neat. The, the Atlanta Crackers. Yeah, yeah that, that's unbelievable. Yeah, the Atlanta Crackers. Yeah. So she grew up in that house. Her dad is actually a famous uh, car dealer. Was kind of famous character in Atlanta. Um, Frank Vigo Ford was, he was the car dealer in Atlanta and he somehow knew that guy and when he was moving to Florida he got that house and and that's how she grew up in in, in Buckhead. It's, uh, it's kind of a trippy place. Earl Mann uh, is his name. Yeah. Earl Mann. Earl Mann. That's correct. Yeah. You know, that's I, I, I loved... Of course, I, I love uh, your wife, Miss Valina Vigo. She was uh, very influential on me and uh, really taught me the way well, back you were in the her day. Intern. Yes, I was. <laughs> that's right. And uh, yes, you started for uh, working for our record label. I did, right. and that, well, that's one thing I, I wanted to do is uh, on on the air. I just wanted to thank you and and Valina for helping me along, and um, you gave me one of my first industry jobs back in the mid '90s. Uh, when we relaunched uh, Pitch mm-hmm. Tent Records, and um, I really, mm-hmm. I really just, I learned a lot from you guys, and I just want to say thank you. Yeah, oh, well, thank you. I mean, you were definitely one of our standout interns, and <laughs> really kind of had an interesting career and done all kinds of things in the music business. It's, it's great to see that. Well, I thanks, I man. And you know what? I want to say I, I loved uh, Frank Vigo as well, and that he, uh, you know, you talked about how he was a car dealer. He had a cool license plate that he he would give out as a promotional item, and it said "Away Vigo," and it had a Braves <laughs> logo and a Falcons logo on there. I don't That's think good. he probably That's paid right. for the, it. Was amazing, and he I love that. He didn't pay for the rights fees. I said. don't think he paid for the rights, but but he had the right because yeah. he was old school Atlanta man. Yeah, I think that nobody was going to mess with him in a way. No, <laughs> not at all. Such a larger than life personality, and uh, I mean people all the time who was like, hey, you know, 
my family, Frank helped out my family do this thing or whatever like that. You know, he was always sort of, you know, he was always in the mix of everything, you know. And Atlanta, you know, we're talking to David Lowry of Cracker here on the Braves Radio Network at the Braves Country Podcast. That's Tug Coward. I'm Scott Munn. David, uh, Atlanta has always been a great city for Cracker, and I know uh, one of our favorite radio stations, 99X, championed y'all quite a bit in the 90s, and um, you guys played Music Midtown all the time. It seems like maybe fate brought you back to Georgia, and uh, I just wanted to know, what does Atlanta mean to you personally? Well, I've always, actually, I just just did a recent, I just had a little tweet that um, a lot of people were commenting on when I said, (laughs) because I was just thinking about, I like playing in Boston, right? But it's always, you know, I, I'm nothing against Boston. I like Boston and stuff like that. But I posted this tweet where I said, has anybody ever had an Atlanta-level good time in Boston? <laughs> right? And this produced, like, My man. this crazy reaction. I finally had to explain, like, what I meant by Atlanta. And, this, you know, this is a little spicy here, but I think you can get away with it on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, you might have to edit this pause as I pull out my computer here so no man you're fine take take all the time you need because i feel that way about atlanta too david i I grew up in northwest georgia in dalton man so i'm i'm about you know as hillbilly as they come but i i grew up listening to the cracker and 99x and and now that they're back which is super super cool and and i know i've heard you know crackers music on there since and you know so that that stuff is so important to me and that music scene was so important to me when i was in high school love love atlanta and i always have so i know exactly what you mean and i've been to boston it's a great city but there's just nothing that compares to atlanta in my book maybe i'm a little biased right here's my two-part tweet it says so because i had tweeted that like after a while people were like well what do you call it what's a, an atlanta level good time i go well let's compare it so i have this boston level good time we went to see philip glass who's sort of an avant-garde composer <laughs> with members of the Lemonhead. later we went to a southie bar to watch the celtics playoff game someone got in a fight <laughs> atlanta level good time i don't remember what happened last night we were at the claremont lounge then later i think we tried to break into the food court at lennox <laughs> blondie strange somebody who looked like t-pain and members of blackberry smoke may have been there i woke up in the bathroom at the varsity in midtown <laughs> dude that's a nightmare that's perfect uh, it's perfect yeah. so atlanta just has kind of this more wilder nighttime city thing, you know, which, oh, you know, it's supposed to get yourself in trouble or something like that. But it's always sort of been like, so even going back to the 1980s when I was in Camper Van Beethoven, I'd come and play the 688 Club in Atlanta. I mean, just Atlanta was always a great city. It's always had a great crowd. There's always great things to do after the show. Uh, you, know, you know, bars were open late. It wasn't like being stuck in some of the neighboring, uh, you know, uh, states, which might not even have liquor licenses and stuff like right. that, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and, and then, you know, there was the fact that when 99X, you know, was up and running their first incarnation. Like, we were played really, really heavily on our first record. And our first record got pretty heavy airplay, but, I mean, like, they went a number of tracks deep into that album, not just playing the one single from that album. And then between uh, the Cracker Cracker's first album and Kerosene Hat, we had this little EP that was sort of this collection of songs that, in a way, were had 
seemed like a little weird. Maybe they weren't the record label's favorite. They were long. Um, and we had this little EP called Tucson, and one of the songs on there was a song called uh, Euro Trash Girl. Oh, my God, I love that And we that put song. out this little EP, and nobody really noticed it except 99X started playing it, right? Suddenly, I mean, we were playing for twice as many people in the Electra Atlanta metro market than we were elsewhere in almost every place else except for maybe uh, San Francisco, kind of Bay Area, being sort of our home for camp or Van Beethoven. St. Louis Station also played that song, and so did a Charleston radio station. So, But anyway, you know, Atlanta being sort of the bigger market compared to those two, that became, like, really important for us. And then, you know, we were just always at 99X. We were always playing Atlanta. We were playing music midtown like right from the beginning i mean it just was a great place for us to play so much so that i was going to move that i was thinking about moving there at one point and anyway i ended up just staying in richmond but uh you know kind of felt like i'd be closer to our fans if i lived there you know so i always liked atlanta i always thought it's it's a really underrated city right I was trying to explain, actually, to those uh, a state commission. I think it's a, both the Senate and the House, and maybe the governor's office, too. I don't know sure who organized this sort of commission to look at the music industry. And, you know, we were talking about a lot of things. Um, one of the things we are talking about, how, you know, Atlanta, in some ways, is too close to Nashville for us to, like, necessarily attract record labels or agencies and stuff like that, because they're already set up there. I go, well, yeah, yeah. That's true, but you know Nashville just doesn't compare to Atlanta. Nashville is just not that interesting of a town. I don't care that it's where <laughs> country music is based and stuff like that. It's just kind of a boring place compared yeah. to Atlanta, right? Atlanta is so, like Europe compared to uh, Nashville, if you ask me. Just, just saying. Mm-hmm. I yeah. love it here too. Yeah. I, I did two years on Music Row, and then I found a reason to uh, get somebody to move me back to Atlanta. Not, you know, I don't hate Nashville. It's a nice place to visit. It's a great tour stop, but it feels just like a tour stop with cowboy hats so it's well cool. that and it's kind of a little bit like a myrtle beach or a pc beach yeah, you know what i mean it's it's, a, it's like a tourist town and i think this is the home of rock yeah. i think this is the home of southern rock and roll really you know that's they can have country that's cool but this is where you come if you want to rock yeah i mean it's basically the capital of rap it's the capital of southern rock i mean it's not really defined by one genre right. the way uh, uh, Nashville is no offense to Nashville, but I, I actually don't think Nashville wants to be as wild as Atlanta is, because they got to cater to sort of Middle America tourism, right? So right. I don't even think they disagree with it. the leaders in Nashville would disagree with that. Right? This episode of Braves Country is sponsored by our Braves fan friends down at Century Twenty One Solomon Properties in Savannah, Georgia, servicing the historic downtown Savannah area the island area, and Atlanta's beach, beautiful Tybee Island, Georgia. Call Joel Solomon today, 912-604-0896. That's 912-604-0896 for all your real estate needs on the Georgia coast. Braves Country also sponsored by Smith's Old Bar, best live music venue in Atlanta since 1994, located in the heart of Midtown at 1578 Piedmont Avenue, Smith's Old Bar, is a neighborhood joint for everyone. Check out smithsoldbar.com for the current concert calendar and tickets. See y'all at Smith's. 
In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps a $5 minimum balance required. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. Now, you were getting into uh, your history of, of, of the band and, uh, and, and 99X uh, playing Euro Trash Girl and all that, and uh, that leads me into wanting to talk about your new solo recordings. Uh, you're, you're, you just released the third in a trilogy of kind of records that are kind of about your life, and they're very honest, and I, I love them. This new one, Vending Machine, is so great. Um, I love how you kind of look back candidly on life, and you're, and you're honest about uh, you know, mistakes and experiences that you had. And um, I love the, the thing where you, you have the one song where you're talking. I mean, you, if anybody wants to hear uh, all about David's life, they got to get Vending Machine, and it's because it's so honest. And, and I love it when you go... Um, uh, talk about how cracker audiences used to teach them the home phone number of the record label president so they could call him and harass him. <laughs> I mean, what a great yeah, thing. I mean, it was actually it was actually his direct line number. Like you could call a record label and go through the switchboard. Right. But if you had the direct line number to the executive, that was way better, right? So that's actually what I did. But I, I did it for a reason because uh, we were on tour we had just put out a new album and right as we went on tour they cut our promotion budget because clearly that well they for one weird weird chapter in the in the music industry we were on virgin records which was originally owned by richard branson you know the big virgin galactic you know virgin mobile virgin Virgin airlines Airlines, you know it's classic american uh, I mean, English uh, entrepreneur. He's kind of the Elon Musk of the UK, right? But he was a fascinating character, very hands-on, very successful record label. But then it was he sold it, right, so he could do his other stuff, and it became part of the EMI conglomerate. And what happened was EMI in 2000, like sort of right as Napster, the pirate site, uh, took off and all of that stuff, right? They signed Mariah Carey to this enormous deal that was way, way beyond what she, she, you know. I, I figured it out. Anyway, it's a, it's a it's a a famous example in the music business about music a record label offering way too much to an artist because of like a bidding war, and it literally put Virgin Records out of business. I mean, it still exists, but they had to fire the entire staff. Basically, Everybody. pretty much the entire staff sell the building. Wow! Uh, you know, like the whole thing, and then they just folded it into Capitol Records in Hollywood, right? Uh, that big, famous, iconic Capitol Records building. So it just became an imprint of Capitol Records. But still, we had a record. We were coming out on tour, and they, you know, were struggling with their finances. They 
I mean, what they should have done is just been like, we don't have the money. We're, we're going to, you know, let you take this record and you go take it someplace else. But what they did was they put it out, but then cut all promotional uh, funds for the record. So there's literally like not having the record label. And uh, I, I still think that's probably why that record is too, even to our fans. Often they're like, hey, I've never seen this record before. It's the album forever. Right. And, and, and you know, this is a contractual thing to spend money on promotion and marketing and advertising and videos and all this stuff. It's it's part of the contract, right? They just yeah. ignored it, right? So we were a week into the tour when this happened. So we were in Pittsburgh, and I was like, eh. we, we used to do uh, take the song Get Off This and then sort of morph it into this kind of reggae thing and then just sort of do this call and response improvisation. So I started teaching them the direct line phone number to the record company <laughs> president at the time. And... Uh, you know, the next week we got our drop notice, but they were really going to do that anyway. So I tell that story. I tell that story in two songs, but this one I really, I just kind of do the history of Cracker on Virgin Records. Uh, in this one song, it's called "It Don't Last Long," right? So I love that song, yeah. that, that's that's what that is, yeah. And folks can get the the new record and all three of his uh, the latest uh, trilogy of solo records at davidlowrymusic.com. I love all the songs on there, and I don't sure I'm not sure if I have all these titles right, but some of my favorites are Disneyland Jail, which is just, <laughs> which sounds like the truth to me. <laughs> yeah, uh, get a day yeah, job. It is. It's a true story. Yeah, oh yeah, get a everybody. Well, we can't say the first word, but yes, get a day uh, job. Yeah. One of the words, every, yeah, get a day job. Um, yeah. Record company key member clause. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, I don't yeah. know if that's the title or not, but that's great. Yeah. And uh, and fat little babies, man. That's one of my favorite ones because everybody always tries to solve things by just having the kids, don't they? And uh, tell and, us, tell and us it about mostly that. Mostly doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. Tell us about that song, Fat Little Babies. I think we ought to play it here on the Braves Country Podcast. But tell us about yeah. Fat Little Babies. Well, it's kind of a little funny thing about being a, you know, like kind of a little bit like funny about like basically being a rock parent and you have all these toddlers running around the house to kind of do rock and roll. But it's actually, it's actually a true story. I just sort of was like, I'm totally into having kids. I remember my, my, my girlfriend in college was like, yeah, man, we, we should have kids, man. They'd look great, man. <laughs> we, we both get a whole have a whole station wagon full of them right and it was just sort of you know she's kind of the woman in the relationship like let's have kids and stuff like that i was like yeah let's have kids let's have a whole bunch of them who cares we'll figure it out right you know so i always kind of had that attitude so i'm kind of playing with that as a joke but then also kind of just the reality of you know uh, i'm a you know i got these toddlers you know, so one of the things is it always just the first line is always fat little babies. So fat little babies uh, eating from the dog food dish. Fat little babies <laughs> wake you with a hangover, right? Um, <laughs> it's so good because it's anyway, so true. All right. of it. <laughs> yeah, oh, and uh, and then also too, you know, I just I just love, I have two boys. They're really different. They're they're really uh, really great characters and and i just you know i just love having them in my life you know it's like so much fun you know it's like uh they're adults now but you know really great great people them and so it's kind of also a tribute to them and my family
Fat little babies Riding on a cosmic chariot Fat little babies Triple light fantastic Fat little babies Won't fix everything between you and me Fat little babies The mystery of the universe Come on darling, everything will be alright We should have a station wagon full Vending Machine album. There's three albums. Uh, it's called Shatter the Bull, Leaving Key Member Claws, and Vending Machine. And I got one last one before I sort of go on to another tangent that I'm starting to work on now. I wrote these songs actually for everybody who's around me. So like for my sisters, you know, uh, for my, you know, sort of tell my parents stories and stuff like that. So it was actually just, you know, for my wife, for my ex-wife. You know, I wrote all these songs for people who were in, in my life. 
I, I don't know. I just just wanted to do something different than sort of the normal rock record. And then I also just sell them to our mailing list mm-hmm. right now. And this has a little bit to do with, you know, the issues with streaming revenues for artists. A lot of people don't know this, but songwriters' royalties for streaming are actually uh, set by uh, a a board at the copyright office, right? And it's been sort of a disaster. And it's such an obvious disaster that I think a lot of people who are involved in, you know, setting this up can't even admit it. (laughs) So um, Sounds corrupt a little bit. Yeah, well, well, what happens a lot of times when, when you set up something like this and it's not really well thought out, it gets essentially captured by the industry that benefits it. So, you know, basically what you have is a, a streaming service doesn't negotiate with anybody to get access to your songs. They get a license, but it's a license that as long as they follow the rules, the you know, basically the it's called the federal compulsory license. They get a license, and then they pay a rate that's determined by the copyright royalty board in the Library of Congress. Now, they're just doing what the regulations and the law says that they have to do, so it's not even really their fault, but the whole thing results in this ridiculously low pay to songwriters. It's not quite so bad for for the performer. Fortunately, I'm both, so I can kind of get both of those. But it's just been a challenge. So a lot of what I did is I just dropped out of the system. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not even effectively putting my music the recordings into the whole digital distribution system. I'm just not even going to do that. So um, I sell basically CDs or downloads directly off my website, and it works out pretty good. I mean, like, uh, the amount of revenue that I get from, say, looks like I'm working towards for this album would require, like, 100 million streams on YouTube or, you know, like, about 25 million on Spotify. This all has to do with how it's calculated, um, the rules that calculate it, and then about, you know, maybe six or eight million on Apple, which is probably doable in the long term. But the great thing about selling the CDs and the downloads is I don't have to wait 30 years to collect that money. I get it all at once. I just kind of dropped out of the system to see if I could survive. I could still eventually put all of those records back onto the streaming services. Nothing's stopping me from doing that. And I think I'm going to do that in 2024. But basically, you know, I I just dropped out and went back to the 90s music business. And it's working really well for me. Working in radio as long as I have, I know artists that are struggling with the same things you are. And and it doesn't feel very fair, man. I tell you, it's it's unreal to see people's literally taken from them. And and David, would you suggest that other artists do this too? Do you think everybody should kind of tune in and drop out? Uh, yeah, so I actually wrote a tweet thread about this. These days I, I just kind of will some days just go, okay, I'm going to do a 30-tweet thread about this. I just did one about this. And what I actually make really careful, careful, careful to mention is that when you're a new artist, you always give your music away for free. I mean, back in the 90s when you were a record label, like the first five or 10,000 copies were promo copies. If you were a new artist, I mean, I think the first 20 or 30,000 were just essentially given away, right? So when you start out, you kind of got that's that's your edge is you know your music's free so so you should actually put yourself on these platforms and you know just try to get it out there as wide as possible but once you establish an audience you have a fan base 
uh, you, you know, either through social media or through weirdly email is, and text messaging has really become the thing lately. Once you have your fans' contact information, you know, it, it makes much more sense to sell everything directly to them, right? Yeah. So instead of getting like, you know, you know, 20% of the revenue, right? You're getting, after shipping and credit cards, you're probably getting 90% of the revenue. And it just doesn't really make as much sense once you're an established artist. And, and I'm not like playing music really that necessarily fits necessarily what's the most popular stuff on radio ever, except for a period of about four years in the 90s. Um, and that's because, you know, public taste change, not so much my band, right? So... It works for me. Talking to David Lowry on the Braves Country Podcast on the Atlanta Braves Radio Network. I love the solo stuff and have uh, been able to listen to the new album, and I like it a whole bunch and love playing it for you, and including during the podcast so people can hear it. But uh, what about Cracker and Camper Band Beethoven? Anything that you're doing in 2023 and beyond for those two bands? Uh, we've got a few shows this summer. Camper Van Beethoven is spread over five time zones on three continents. It's really hard for us to get together. I don't have anything on the on the books for Camper Van Beethoven unless he somebody has an idea to do a new record. Probably it's probably dormant until that happens. Uh, but Cracker, yeah, we've got some shows coming up uh, this spring and in the summer. Sort of was waiting out. Um, you know, COVID made it like the that sort of changed the live music business, especially a lot for a lot of older fans. I think a lot of older fans just stopped going to shows and they didn't they're not coming back. So I think about twenty percent of our audience just I, I don't know what how you get them back, right? But the other weird things uh, until you know COVID becomes this thing that we treat more like something less than the flu. If you go on tour, people are getting sick all the time when you go on tour for uh, six weeks or something like that. You got a bus and you got 12 people maybe in the bus and we're all breathing each other's air like people get sick all the time, right? So what ended up happening post-COVID is nobody wants to do a long string of shows because if you get, you know, if you get COVID and in a lot of states, you have to like test still, or there's a lot of cities you still have to supposedly like test or something like that, right? Maybe some of those last restrictions went away, right? But, but so you go, you go, you string about five or six dates together and you think about how, you know, you interact with an audience and something like that. Pretty likely that somebody will get COVID and then you have to cancel the whole tour or the rest of the tour. You have to wait it out for eight days or something like that. That's like, that's a disaster from <laughs> the perspective of, it makes it so it's really hard to tour. So sure. what we did post-COVID was we were doing this a lot anyway, but we were, because, you know, play on weekends, we play in the summer. We just weren't ever stringing that many dates together. And so we don't do that as much now anyway. So, like, I mean, we'll just pick a little area, string four or five dates together. And that, that's kind of what we do. So, um, uh, I don't know. I hope 99X brings back some kind of rock, alternative rock music festival. Maybe we'll play that in a coming up. Hey, well, one but, thing that, one thing, David, I that think I that's think, the plan. I mean, that's great. And I'm loving yeah. the festivals and the, and the, and I'm loving uh, residencies. And one thing you've been doing that I'm really into is the, is the camp out out West. And now you do the cracker camp in at the 40 watt club. And, uh, you've done that a few years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's Thursday through Saturday, March 9th through 11th. Um, 
You can get three day right. passes Sorry. and all that. I think that's I think that's where it's at is having the people come to you. I love that concept. How did you come up with that? Yeah, kind of like what that's kind of a you know a that's from the playbook of the old country legacy stars, right? You know, Dollywood. Oh, uh, the Branson, Branson, thing, yeah. Missouri. Yeah. yeah, right. In a way, right? Or Las Vegas, right? Stuff like that. But yeah, I noticed a few bands that were regional. In particular, I got a, I just went and played. Uh, this festival again. This 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 band, Roger Klein and the Peacemakers, oh, yeah. out of Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, they were more or less. They came out of the refreshments. Maybe some of you remember the refreshments. Yeah, I love that band. They also yeah, and they also did you know the King of the Hill theme. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, they, uh, I, I guess Roger had a house down. Uh, what some people sometimes derisively call uh, uh, Baja, Arizona. A little bit of Sonora that's underneath of Arizona at the top of the Sea of Cortez there. It's a really undeveloped area. Roger always had a, always had a little house and a little fishing village there, and he got a little bit of tourism and stuff like that. And there's, you know, one of these beach tequila bars. He started just playing down there and at the, for a weekend and having his friends, you know, inviting the fans and friends come down. It really turned into something. So he started this thing called Circus Mexicus, is what they call it. And then they have a they have a uh, June one, which is the big one, and they have a smaller one in January. And I just went down and played that. But he, along with a number of other artists that had more of a regional following, I noticed did that right. And one of our problems was we were always popular in Southern California because I'm from there, right? But um, LA just really had a, a pretty bad venue scene. The deals are terrible. There's too much music. So we started, well, let's do like basically what Roger Klein does. We'll play out in the desert at this place called Pappy and Harriet's and just tell everybody to come out there and we'll stay out there for three days. And it eventually went out. To, well, it started as two days and it went to three and then it went to four. Unfortunately, the place was sold. We don't really have the same deal with them. So that's sort of in limbo right now. But that's what we did. We were cooperating uh, Roger Klein and sort of the idea was bring people to us. So we started the same thing here in Athens, although it's smaller because it's, you know, it's in the winter or the spring. Um, but it's, you know, it's a fan fest. It's sort of a thing where you get all your fans together and they get, they're actually the draws. They actually just spend all this time hanging out with each other, right? And then occasionally come and see us play. <laughs> And do, <laughs> kind of the way it works. And do they actually yeah. camp in at the Forty Walk Club? Is there people spending no, the night, no, or what? We just okay. call it the camp in. No, we just <laughs> call it the camp in because uh, literally Pioneer Town had one hotel and it had twenty rooms, right? So, okay. uh, but there were places to camp in Pioneer Town. Um, this is near Josh, which we, there are places to camp in Pioneer Town. And then also something that people aren't really familiar with here on the East Coast. But in the West, a lot of land is owned by the federal government. It's called, it's managed by the Bureau of Land Management. And there's these actually pretty loose rules where as long as you clean up after yourself, there's nothing stopping you from parking on the federal land, which is right adjacent to the venue. There's no rule. You can just park there and camp. Well, the Cracker Camp Inn is at the 40 Watt Club Thursday through Saturday, March 9th through 11th. I think there's four shows because you're doing three nights with the band. Don't you have a solo thing as well? And, and uh, people can get a three-day pass. And uh, I'm really looking yeah, forward yeah, to that. Three, I'm going to come up this year. Just go to the 40 Watt website. Uh, you can get by individual nights or a three-day pass. Uh, I think Thursday night is only for the three-day pass holders. I think that's how it works. Oh, uh, that's cool. my wife. That's her, 
developer world. Um, right. But uh, that's that's what we do. And um, or maybe the Friday afternoon show, somebody from the three day pass holders. I can't remember one of those. One of the shows is encourages people to buy the three day passes. And uh, yeah, come and see us. It's going to be um, it's going to be uh, you know. Uh, Go look at the website, see everybody's playing. I, I should point out that Jim Dalton, the lead guitarist for Roger Klein and the Peacemakers, since I just pay, played their January event, he's coming up and playing a set with us, and he's the guitarist. I, I used him for whatever. We were just talking, and I gave him the song It Don't Last Long, which is the first song of Benny. He's oh, yeah. actually a guitarist on that song as well, too. Yeah, he song. does good work. That actually reminded me. The guitar riff reminded me of like some Dire Straits or something. It was so good. He is very tasty. He really knows his stuff. Yeah. Actually, you know, interesting story about him is he's kind of from a rock family as well. Although not a performer, his his dad is was a long time. Uh, crew guy for the doobie brothers right oh he survived <laughs> so that wow he has a little bit of that classic rock guitar playing like sort of baked in and uh talk about the 40 watt club for a second if you will i mean it's a very important venue a cornerstone venue and just tell the fans about the importance of the 40 watt club to you the 40 watt club was one of those you know very original clubs that made uh the indie rock circuit, right? Now, people don't sometimes think of indie rock as a style of music, but indie rock was actually sort of, uh, it was almost more of like a, it was a musical movement in the 80s, but it was also sort of a commercial movement. Literally, we were on independent labels that weren't distributed by the major labels. We were distributed by independent distributors, and our records were mostly sold in independent stores because it was actually kind of hard. It used to be hard to get your records into chain stores. And so if you were sort of an upstart, insurgent kind of style or band, you, you wanted to use the indie network to break through. And the other parts of the indie network that I just described are also the college radio stations, um, which were, you know, their playlists weren't tight control and the independent promoters and venues so a lot of bands emerged in the 80s around the united states sort of based on the model that had emerged in athens georgia of sort of independent record labels independent record stores independent clubs you know not owned by the big promoters and 40 Watt was one of them. So it's one of the first ones in that network. You know, it goes back to, it was in a number of locations till it solidified this the location that it has now. But it goes back to about 1978 or 1979. It's like the Southern CBGB. It is. That's exactly what it is. I mean, people from all over the world know the venue, right? Yeah. It's in a lot of bands' first chapter in their books. But all the bands always come back, though, too. I noticed that. It's like you raise up there, and then you want to come back and play there. And and bands like even the Drive-By Truckers, they they could be playing down at the Classic Center, but they'd rather do four nights at the 40 Watt. So I think it's really great that you do that, too. Yeah, Belina had a secret show by the Foo Fighters um, at the 40 Watt Club scheduled for April of 2020, but obviously COVID shut that down, and then it never got rescheduled. I hear they're going to tour again, so uh, maybe there's hope for the future, you know? 
something <laughs> like that might happen. I, I wouldn't know. It's always a secret. Talking <laughs> to David Lowry of Cracker, you can get their stuff at crackersoul.com or his solo stuff at davidlowrymusic.com. You can find them on social media, David C. Lowry, specifically on Twitter. So, I, I mean, we always talk about Southern food because that's a staple for Scott and I. Are there places that you like to go, whether in Atlanta or Athens or on the road in the Southeast, that you recommend people stop at that maybe they wouldn't ordinarily? Well, actually, it, it, this is a place that deserves mentioning that often gets forgotten is this venue in Tampa, Florida called Skipper's. Oh, yeah. A, a Skipper's Crab Shack or something like that. Yep. But it looks like it's basically a junkyard or it's the whole, they call it the Skipper Dome, the whole outdoor stage area where it looks like it's just made of salvage materials. And it's a little, it's just like a little seafood, like fried seafood kind of place or whatever. But um, it's really great. And it also has a long musical legacy sort of first as sort of like an underground sort of bluesy biker's place and then biker place and then kind of lean more towards the hippie stuff. But, you know, uh, we try to play there every couple of years, but uh, music, food, in just like almost an industrial area in Tampa, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a really interesting venue and it, it has a, it often has really good music playing there and stuff like that. As we wrap up, David, just want to tell you thank you so much for your time today and for supporting the Alzheimer's Music Festival. And if you're ever in town, ever around the ballpark, want to invite you and Valina to come out to a Braves game with us this summer. We'd love to have you and love to treat you to a game if you you have time. Maybe when they're playing the Dodgers. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, that's you know what we can do. We could like, uh, yeah, and we'll get my sister to come, and she'll <laughs> monitor whether I'm cheering for the right team and stuff like <laughs> that's that. Right. Right? Look, that's we right. may have to put our foot down on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I kid, I kid. And David, yeah, we, you know, I love to get. Yeah. And David, we want to close the show uh, by playing one of your uh, most brutally honest songs from your new uh, David Lowry solo record, Vending Machine. The song "Don't Last Long." We love it. Uh, you want to tell us about this song a little bit more? You mentioned it earlier. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just sort of me recounting, since it's sort of a, you know, sort of these albums are serious, sort of autobiographical stuff. I had to go, well, I got to do a song about like how Cracker started, you know, or, you know, uh, or, or sort of, because I don't have really talk about that through, through the record, you know, it's sort of like it's sort of quiet on Cracker. So I address sort of the, the career, you know, how we got these hits. They came out of nowhere. We were sort of surprised hit for Virgin Records. And then eventually it all starts sort of going south. And I sort of explain how that happens with the you know phone number and stuff like that just tell the story best i remember it right but david i love how you say that you should have dropped your knees and thanked the good lord i think that's really important for people to hear that because anytime you're having success in life that's the time when you really want to thank god you know it we can go to that when we're having trouble but you know it's it's good to remind people that when you're up that's the time to really be thankful for bringing that success to you and i think that was an important lyric and i appreciate it yeah and i think i sort of surprised some of my fans they didn't know i had that in me but i do i just don't like kind of wear it on my sleeve so yeah i was like yeah I'm, this is this is me this is what i say this is what i think you should do right and just put it right out there
So Jackson quit his day job process Serving Michael Milliken I bought a house out in the country With my publishing advance Jeff Eroff said See, I knew you'd write a hit by accident And I should have got down on my knees And thanked the Lord It don't last long Enjoy it while you can It don't last long It don't last long Enjoy it while you can It don't last long The second album we recorded out in Pioneer Town, we tried to rent Frank Sinatra's house, but the realtor shut us down. The album spawned three more singles, none of them sounded like grunge, but we were selling out theaters. It's timing and it's luck. And I should have got down on my knees and thanked the Lord Cause it don't last long Enjoy it while you can It don't last long It don't last long Enjoy it while you can don't last long
It don't last long Enjoy it while you can It don't last long It don't last long Enjoy it while you can It don't last long There's just nothing better than great live music and y'all provide it for everybody and and have for so many years man so so many people are thankful so many people appreciate what you do and man that's not lost on us here on the braves country podcast thank you appreciate it thanks for having me this episode of braves country is sponsored by our braves fan friends down at century 21 solomon properties in savannah georgia servicing the historic downtown savannah area the island area and atlanta's beach beautiful tybee island georgia call joel solomon today 912-604-0896. That's 912-604-0896 for all your real estate needs on the Georgia coast. Braves Country also sponsored by Smith's Old Bar, best live music venue in Atlanta since 1994, located in the heart of Midtown at 1578 Piedmont Avenue. Smith's Old Bar is a neighborhood joint for everyone. Check out smithsoldbar.com for the current concert calendar and tickets. See y'all at Smith's. Braves Country supports the Warrior Alliance and the Shepherd's Men, two phenomenal veteran organizations based in the South. Check out thewarrioralliance.org and shepherdsmen.com for more info and resources. That's thewarrioralliance.org and shepherdsmen.com. Braves Country would like to thank all of our nation's great veterans. In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps $5 minimum balance required. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. So, Robert, I want to thank you for your time. I just don't think you're the right person for this position. I don't understand. Was it something I said? Well, we did a background check on you and found some things of concern. If you're in charge of hiring for your company, you know how helpful a background screening can be. That's why companies that use Horizon Background Screening make smarter hiring decisions. Don't let the wrong hire put your company at risk. Get the real story on your candidates at horizonscreening.com. Horizonscreening.com. 